welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends, if you want to find your seats, that'd be great. Thanks for being here. My name is Micah again. Um, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want them. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you weren't here last week, man, you really missed out. Uh, when we worship on the island, it's a party time. How many of you were out there on, on Raspberry Island on Sunday? My goodness gracious, so much fun. I had one of, those, uh, one of those proud moments as a pastor where I get a view often that you all don't get. You all, you know, often you're sitting here and you look this way, but I get to stand here and I get to see you all. And on Sunday, I, you know, I'm down there in the river. I'm baptizing people like John the Baptist style. And you all are standing there. It was just so cool. So many of you. City on the right, bluffs on the left. Man, oh man. Good times. And I actually remember thinking when we first started this thing, like, is this going to last? <laughs> are people going to come back? Like, are we going to make it? And now we're, you know, dreaming about the future and this invitation we sense from God to be a part of this thing in the city. And, and if you didn't know, Awaken East, second preview service right now. Actually, they're probably just wrapping up. Um, so uh, the, the first parish of Awaken over on the east side is happening. And so um, lots of really, really good stuff. In fact, I wanted to begin this morning by just praying for them, for what, what God's doing at Awaken East and, and for our part in that. So maybe if you would join me in a word of prayer. God, this morning we begin with gratitude. Uh, we're grateful that we... Uh, You've invited us to this, this work of redemption and renewal and restoration, um, which we are often not fit for, and yet you continue by your Spirit to empower us to do so. So thank you for all that you have done, thank you for what you're doing, and for all that you will do uh, here at West 7th and also at Awaken East. Thank you for Dan and his leadership. Uh, God, we just bless them this morning. We pray that your Spirit would uh, be present in very real and powerful ways as they gather for worship. Um, and so we thank you. We pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. Uh, so if you're new, uh, welcome to Lost in Translation. This is our summer series. We take a book of the, uh, a passage in scripture, often that's hard to interpret or difficult to understand or just hard to read, uh, as you will see this morning is the case, and uh, try to make sense of it. And we do this because, um, well, we're committed to scripture and we think that it's worth our time and effort. So in that spirit, I'm actually going to ask you to stand if you can, and we'll read from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And actually, uh, Trevor in the back, I'm going to start at verse 8 uh, instead of verse 1. So we'll read verses 8 through 15. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he writes this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner." But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Pray with me and for me, if you would. <laughs> God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the gift that it is. And I pray that as we um, gather and uh, intend to look at it, that you would reveal yourself to us. You say that your word is active and it's alive and it's sharper 
than a two-edged sword, able to divide between what's right and wrong, true and untrue, and so may it be so today. Um, Give the preacher wisdom, and all God's people said, amen, you may be seated, holy buckets. (laughs) Have you ever seen somebody just walk up to like a hornet's nest and swat at it, you know, (laughs) and then see what happens? I feel a bit like that, like some dummy who hit a a bee's nest. Um, So, Usually when we come to a difficult passage, especially in this series, um, I will often kind of present both sides of something and I'll th- you know, give you thoughts about why it would be interpreted this way or that way and, and then try to give you some tools to make sense of it on your own. I don't really believe that it's helpful for the preacher or the pastor to tell you what to do or what to think. Uh, and so I often try to do that so that you will learn how to interpret and read and, and uh, work with scripture faithfully and well. And uh, often, as, the, as is the case in this, in this series of Lost in Translation, um, it, the stakes aren't that high, right? Like, if you believe the Nephilim were real and literal or not, like, okay, fine. Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, this is Genesis chapter 6. Or if you think that Ezekiel 23 is about the, two northern, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom or not, fine. Like at the end of the day, not that big of a deal as to where you land on that, right? This one is not that way. Um, This one is, it matters a great deal what you believe about this passage. And lots has been written and lots has been said and a lot has been taught about this verse. And I'm going to only just take one section of it. There's a lot in here that we could do but would take a lot longer than I have. And I want to just answer this one question of A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Why does Paul say that, and is that true? Should women in the church not teach over a man or not have authority over a man, and should they learn in quietness and in submission? I've been to churches, there are plenty of churches out there who would say that that's what the text says, and that's how we should interpret it. Um, I'm going to offer the possibility that maybe that's not the best way to look at this. Um, I'm not going to present two sides of this. I'm going to vehemently argue for one, because I think it's the right one, and I think it really matters where you land on this one. I can't tell you how many women I have talked to who have been hurt and have experienced pain and agony by the church, from the church, because of a gifting or a calling or a passion or an invitation that they sensed from God that was not celebrated, welcomed, but actually was suppressed or, even, or worse than that by the church and by the people of God. And it pains me a great deal to know that that's true. And so I'm going to argue, hopefully quite convincingly, that that is not what Paul is talking about. That is not what he intends to say when he says this in this passage. Um, I'm going to look. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to scaffold this, all right? So those of you educators in the room, we're going to do some scaffolded learning, all right? We're going to start with the context in 1 Timothy. Why does Paul say that to this group of people in 1 Timothy? And then we're going to add a layer. We're going to look at Paul in general, in Paul's letters, in the corpus of Paul's work. What does he say about male and female relationships. And then we're going to add another layer, which is scripture. Does the scripture affirm this idea, or does it point us in a different direction? Are you with me now? Okay, brothers and sisters, 
here we go. BT dubs. Jenna got the first crack at this last summer in Lost in Translation. She did a bang-up job. Uh, but I've never had a chance to teach this passage or passages like it um, from the front, and so I'm, I'm quite excited to do so this morning. I hope you are as well. Let's go. Are you ready? Okay. First layer. First Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to submit that Paul is not arguing or not saying that women should not teach over men in the church. That's actually not what Paul is arguing for. In order to see how we get there, because clearly it says that in the text, I think it means something else, or I think there's another reason for it, but how and why, we have to dig a couple layers deeper. So the first one is genre. Realtors will say location, 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 right? Bible interpreters will say genre, genre, genre. When you pick up the Bible and you begin reading, you have to begin with the question of what am I reading? And genre matters. There are multiple genres in the Bible. It's a collection of 66 books that fall into a number of categories. A few examples. Wisdom literature. In Judaism, there are classic wisdom literature types, or there are rules that apply to wisdom literature. So when you read Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs and Job, that's wisdom literature. And you should apply the rules of wisdom, wisdom literature when reading that. But if you apply those same rules to, say, apocalyptic literature like Revelation in the book of Daniel, you're going to be a foot and a miss right away. You follow? So when you read scripture, there are certain rules that apply to genres. This particular book, 1 Timothy, is a letter. Some of you may have heard the word epistle. That's the same thing. It's a letter. Now, what's a letter? A letter is a document or a piece of literature that's written by a person to another person. <laughs> it's quite simple. It's a letter. Have you written a love letter before to someone? Raise your hand if you have. Do you guys remember that in, like, in middle school, grade school? You know, Do you love me? Check yes or no. Meet me behind the band shell. Um, it's a letter. It's written by one person to another person, right? In this case, it's written by Paul to Timothy, and the context is Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, where Paul has started a church. And to understand what he's saying in the letter, you have to understand the context of Ephesus and what's happening in Ephesus in order to understand why Paul would write what he writes in his letter to Timothy, okay? I'm also saying this because you can't take a letter written to somebody else and apply it to you if it's not written for you, right? If Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, it's particular. It's bound in time and space, and it's for Timothy, not you, not the church ad infinitum. Now, there's a way in which the scriptures sort of trans, uh, they are trans time, they, they, they cover time, they're they were, it was for then, and it's for now. God spoke then, and God is continuing to speak now. Yes, okay, I affirm that. But this letter was written to a dude named Timothy, not you, not me. So what's happening in Ephesus is really, really important to why he says what he says. Are you all tracking so far? One author, Raymond Collins, says it this way, saying basically what I've said, but a bit smarter. Of all the literary genres, it is the epistolary genre, love that word, that is the most conditioned by the coordinates of time and space historical and relational circumstances. Therefore, they, the letters, they are ad hoc compositions whose essential import, what they mean, relates immediately and directly to the situation that dictated their composition, right? So what's in the letter was dictated by the context in Ephesus, which should lead you to a question. And the question is, say it louder, church. Thank you. What's happening in Ephesus? Ding, ding, ding. We've got a winner. What do we have for the winner, John? Give you a t-shirt in the back. Um, 
We don't have t-shirts. We should get some t-shirts so I could give them away when people get right answers. Or maybe fans, yeah? Fans? You got the right answer, you get a fan. What is happening in Ephesus? Why does Paul feel the need to say, women, you should learn in quietness and submission and not assume authority over a man? What's happening in Ephesus? Two things rise to the surface quite quickly. The first is this, false teachers. If you read Timothy from start to finish, you realize that the subject of the book is false teaching. There are a number of people in Ephesus who have grabbed the reins of leadership and who are exercising maybe gifts that they have but in inappropriate ways and are leading the church and the community of God astray in that sense. Chapter 1, verse 3 and following says this, I urged you, Timothy, when you went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus. Why? So that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. He finishes by saying, some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk, chatter, blah, 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 blah. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. The church in Ephesus is experiencing a crisis, or at the very least, a small issue, as the English might say. Paul started the church, and he left it to continue his work of church planting. Timothy is one of the leaders in charge. There are other leaders in charge, many of whom are women. These women, some of these folks, are not exercising their gifts properly, or at worst, exercising them improperly. The way in which they're learning and, and, and the, the atmospheres in which they're doing so are not conducive to the work and the people of God, but actually mirror something else, which we'll get to in a moment. So Paul says, and in our case, what's germane to our conversation is that some of the leaders, some of the false teachers are women. Now this is not, uh, uh, this isn't bad or it's not a problem in principle that women could teach and learn and effectively do so because of the cross and resurrection. You, they can, they're free to do so, I'm arguing. But Paul says, because there are women involved in this and they're false teachers and they're leading people astray, it complicates matters and it leads him to say some of the things that he says. Tracking so far. Okay, let's keep going. The second thing that rises to the surface, so you have, uh, what was the first one? Oh yeah, false teachers in Ephesus, right? That comes to the surface. The second one is the Artemis cult. If you do any study of the ancient world and you look in the first century around the city of Ephesus, quickly will rise to the surface the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was gigantic. It was beautiful, made of all marble. One author says it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the largest building in the Greek world, four times larger than the Athenian Parthenon. This thing is massive. And Artemis is a fertility cult, which means that the sacred feminine was at the center of worship and all that happened in the fertility cult. Now, this was not a place where you would come and listen to a sermon and take communion and sing some songs. A fertility cult had a few other activities involved. Are you tracking with me? And since there are kids involved today, I'll just stop there, right? Use your imaginations, but don't go too far, okay? So a fertility cult had that at, the, at its center, and scholars and archaeologists have shown us that, in particular, in Artemis, in this cult, women were the priests, so the people who ran the show were women, and they did so in a way that they assumed authority over men, which was not normal in their culture and in their day. 
Interestingly, it's the same language Paul uses when he says a, a, a woman should not assume authority over a man, right? So these women are running the show. They're assuming authority over men in weird and bizarre ways. Again, I'll let you use your imagination. N.T. Wright says this, if you're writing a letter to someone in a small new religious movement with a base in Ephesus and wanted to say that because of the gospel, the old ways of organizing male and female relationships need to be rethought from the top to the bottom, with one feature being that women were to be encouraged to study, encouraged to learn, encouraged to take leadership, you might well want to avoid giving the wrong impression. Paul is saying, like Jesus in Luke 10, women must have space and leisure to study and learn in their own way, not in order that they would muscle in and take over leadership, as in the Artemis cult, but so that men and women alike can develop whatever gifts of learning, teaching, and leadership God is giving them. What is he saying? Maybe Paul is not writing to the church ad infinitum, forever and ever, amen, about the role of women in the church that a woman should learn in quiet submission and not teach over men. Maybe Paul is actually addressing a particular issue in Ephesus where there were false teachers who were assuming authority and leading the church astray, and there were people looking in thinking, oh, you must be the Artemis cult. And Paul's saying, for the sake of the gospel, not because you aren't free as a woman in Christ to learn and grow and teach and use whatever gifting you have because you are, but for the sake of the gospel, defer... For unity and, the, and, and the, the worth and value of the work of Jesus Christ, don't do it in that fashion because if you do, people will mistake you for the counterfeit that is the cult. Are you tracking? So Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, don't do what you're free to do, right? He, does, he says this again in Romans when he's talking about should you eat meat sacrificed to idols or should you drink alcohol? Don't do what you're free to do if it causes your brother to stumble, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of community in that case, defer and do it this way instead of that way. So maybe it's not for the church forever and ever, amen, but rather, particular, in Ephesus, he's addressing a question, an, is an issue. Furthermore, to prove my point, if you're not convinced yet, in the passage itself, Paul basically says, women, when you learn, when you gather together to study and learn and use your gifts. Now, for you and I, in 2017, we go, okay, whatever, like, girls can sign up for college and they can learn and, like, equal, right? Big deal, no big deal. In Paul's day and age, this would have been absolutely bonkers crazy. Why would women need to learn? All they do is make babies and food and manage a household. 2,000 years ago, in the ancient world of, the, of, of basically modern-day Iraq, you have a system and a dominant narrative that says women are basically like a little bit better than slaves. They are property to be used for childbearing and for meeting your needs, your basic needs, both sexual and physical, like food and sex. That's it. So for women in this new community of people for whom the cross and resurrection changes everything, Paul's saying, this is where it's headed. Women, when you learn, because you should be learning, you should be growing. Those of you who have gifts, you should be growing in them and you, learning to use them well. When you learn, do it in this way. He assumes that women should teach and lead and be gifted to do so, which is why he says, when you learn, do it in this way so that you don't look like them, but you look like Jesus. 
I wholeheartedly reject the notion that Paul is arguing that women should never teach or exercise leadership in the church. I wholeheartedly reject that, and I think that Paul is actually affirming in other places and here that women can and should be gifted and are gifted and should use those gifts for the community and for the betterment of the gospel in the world. I don't think Paul is arguing this in 1 Timothy. Now let's take it a step higher. I don't think Paul argues for it in any of his letters. Let's take a look at a few of them. If you were to map the trajectory of Paul's like, uh, thoughts and feelings and, and his offerings as it relates to male and female relationships because of the cross, the trajectory or the telos, where it's headed, is egalitarian or equity and equality. I made a little map for you guys here. Basically what Paul is saying is, you live in a world that begins with the assumption of patriarchy, hierarchy, men, women, submissive, dominant, power, not, right? That's what you live in. And the cross and the resurrection of Jesus makes a definitive statement about how men and women are to relate to one another that calls us back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we'll get there in a second, and moves us forward towards the future, the eschaton, an eschatological hope for what will be. And that eschatological hope is egalitarian equity and equality, male and female, men and women, equal unto one another. So this is the trajectory and the telos of everything Paul is doing in his letters. Let me show you a few examples. If you think about what Paul says about the gifts of the Spirit, he talks about it in Romans, he talks about it in Ephesians, and I think one other place. Nowhere in his mention about the Spirit of God gifting the church is there any delineation between male and female. To some it's given this gift, some given that gift, some given this gift, some given that gift. No talk of men, you're given this gift because you're called to do that and women, you aren't. If that were true, you'd think that would show up. It doesn't. Paul makes no mention of it. Why? Because Paul's vision of the future is egalitarian. It's mutual. It's men and women equal unto one another. And so women would be gifted to teach and lead in the church. I'll keep going. Paul's instructions on marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Read this one, friends. Go home and read it. He says, men, submit your bodies to your wife. Your body is not your own. Wives, submit your bodies to your husbands. Now, the shocker here is not wives, submit your, husbands, submit your bodies to your husbands or submit your husbands to the crazy farm. No. The shocker here is men, submit your body, your will, your sexual energy and power to your wife. No man in Greco-Roman culture would do that. That's completely ridiculous. It's this. Men have power, women don't. Men dominate, women don't. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, a Christ-like marriage is mutual submission one to another. Men, submit your bodies to your wife as unto the Lord. Women, follow suit. Submit your bodies. It's mutual submission. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul, in his admonishment of the people of God in 1 Peter, he's talking about the church and the people of God. There's no mention, no delineation between male and female. You are all the people of God, a priesthood of believers. What do priests do? They represent God to the people. They, they have functions and roles in the worship of God's people. Why would Paul call women a priesthood of believers if they weren't to function in that fashion? It doesn't make any sense. I'll keep going, because I got more. Come on now. <laughs> Freedom in Christ. Galatians and Colossians. Paul says, you're free in Christ. 
And he makes no mention between men and women, no delineation between male and female. He says, in fact, in Galatians, he goes on to say, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, in Christ you are all free. Not some of you more than others, because if that were the case, you'd think he would say so. No, you are free, all of you, men and women, mutually free. If all this is true, and Paul's tell us the trajectory of his arguments in terms of male and female relationships is headed towards egalitarian equality and equity, then I would suggest to you that one can understand any and all of Paul's admonishments in the New Testament to women that do not follow that trajectory in light of the tension that exists for the people of God who live in the already but not yet. The kingdom of God and the brokenness of our world. One author says it this way. Again, we see the same pattern. Wherever the vision of a new life in Christ, the trajectory, is creating conflict and disruption, and the eschatological tension of the gospel is dissolved, the future, right? When it's being dissolved, Paul gently reins these views back with the recognition that a church lives with one foot in the age to come and the other foot still firmly planted in this world and thus subject to its structures and roles. So anytime Paul is not saying equality and equity and mutual submission one to another and egalitarianism, he's doing so because of the tension that the church faces living with one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom, where we're headed towards mutuality, equality, mutual submission, one to another, egalitarianism. But because we live here now, we may have to, we may have to tweak it a little bit as we head that way. You tracking with me? I would... I would man... I got a lot on this. Scripture doesn't argue for it. If Paul doesn't argue for it in 1 Timothy, and he doesn't argue for it in his letters, I want to suggest that Scripture doesn't argue for it either. Genesis 1 and 2, the whole story begins with male and female, Adam and Eve, mutual, harmony, shalom. Shalom does not include domination or hierarchy. Shalom is universal flourishing wholeness and delight for all involved. The ask of God the invitation of God to steward and care for creation, it's a good thing it was given to the man because he's a better farmer than the girl. No, actually it wasn't, was it? It was given to both Adam and Eve. Care, steward, be caretakers of this good world, mutually, male and female, because guess what? It's going to require both. Paul mentions women who are apostles for crying out loud multiple times in Paul's letters. He mentions women who are leading, teaching, speaking. They, are, they have apostolic authority. He mentions them by name. Phoebe, Priscilla, Unia, Eudia, Syntyche. Women in the room, great name, Syntyche. <laughs> Why would he mention and celebrate these women who are leading and, and are gifted to do so if he didn't think they should be leading and doing it? Don't forget, it's women who find the tomb empty the last person you would want to find the tomb empty is a woman. It's the last person. They can't testify in court. They have no rights. Don't forget, it's a woman who carries the divine in her womb without the help of a man. <laughs> Bottom line. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to land this plane. Paul in 1 Timothy does not argue that women should not teach and should be quiet in church. That is not what he's saying. I would argue the opposite is true. 
Paul is saying, for the sake of the gospel in the specific context in which you find yourselves, here are some encouragements on how you are to exercise your freedom in Christ, ladies who are gifted and called to lead and teach. Do so in this manner so that you don't get confused with something else. The scriptures itself leads us, points us, the resurrection ensures us mutual submission one to another. Ezer Kenegdo, face to face or powers equal unto male and female. All that maleness brings, the power, the strength, the gifting, the passion, all the strength and power and gifting and passion that female brings equal unto another, holding one another up in that tension, kind of like these beams right here holding this roof up. That's the future. That's the eschaton. That's the hope. So, here's how I want to end today. I've spent the majority of my life, probably 25 to 30 years, believing that women aren't gifted to teach. And if they are, that they shouldn't teach over men. And that they should have a role in the church of Jesus that is very particular and consistent with 1 Timothy 2. I wrote a paper in undergrad arguing it. And I regret it. I'm ashamed of it. I have so much sadness in me that I participated in that. And this morning, I want to offer something different. And maybe you're here, this, maybe you're here and that's all you've ever known. And maybe you're convinced of that and you're like, that's kind of demeaning. I don't mean it to be. There's grace for all of us and we're on a journey and I feel like I have seen something that I didn't see before and now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And for me to participate is one thing, but to, to not do anything is another. And so I want to try to create a moment that I hope people in this church remember. There are women in this room who have felt less than because of the church and the people of God, who have giftings and callings to lead and teach and manage and be on elder boards and to do all kinds of things, and they have not been given the freedom or have been celebrated for the gifts that they have. And that's going to change this morning, at least here. Two things. In just a moment, after silence... I'm going to invite the people in our community who are women who lead and who teach on your behalf, people on our staff, on our elder team, and on our core team. And I'm going to ask them to come and to stand in the front. Uh, I asked Laura if she would write a blessing for them to honor and name and call out and celebrate the gifts that they bring and that they offer this community that we are better for. Some of you may be here this morning and you may feel like, you want in on that. And maybe you don't serve on one of those teams, but you feel gifted and called to lead and, or to teach in whatever realm or, or atmosphere you live in, as a mom or as a, a professional. Or if, you, if you'd like to receive that blessing, I'll invite you to stand with those who serve on your behalf at Awaken to do so. That's one. The second is, I'm going to stand as a way of saying, I'm sorry. And for whatever way I participated in a system or a belief that didn't value and hold high the beauty and the wonder and the gifting of women among us, I'm sorry. And if you want to stand with me in that, I'll invite you to do so. And if you don't want to do either of those two things, that's okay too. 
we always say this is the beginning of the conversation, not the end. So maybe I've pushed a whole bunch of buttons. Maybe I've challenged you in a way you've never been challenged before on this. That's okay. We're not asking you to do anything you're not comfortable doing. But those will be the two invitations. So let me pray, give you a moment of silence, and then invite you to respond. God, this morning we gather as your church, and I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful that it's alive, that it's active, that it's, uh, that it's breathing something into us as your people. I pray that in these next few moments of silence, that those who are here who have felt uh, dishonored or neglected or quieted because of a gifting or a passion or a leading, an invitation that they have sensed from your spirit, that they would know deep inside of them that that is from you and it is to be celebrated and used for your kingdom and your good work in the world. And for those who maybe need to take a moment and just repent, to say, I was going that way, and I don't want to go that way anymore, I want to go this way, that they would turn, shuva, repent, and that you would honor those hearts. So God, in this next moment of silence, speak clearly, Holy Spirit, I pray. I invite you to receive this blessing. To the women at Awaken who are serving and leading, we see you. We affirm you. May your voice be strong, respected, and valued here. May you be free to offer your strength and your tenderness, your courageous and your nurturing heart. May we be a church who celebrates what you uniquely offer to your families your workplaces, your circles of influence. And may you sense God's delight in you as you lead. And may God continue to speak all around you and deep inside. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, the Church of Jesus, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. In whatever you're gifting, go use it. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.